You can save every day by shopping at Whole Foods Market. Seriously, don't just go for the big sales. Walk the store and see the savings for yourself. In the seafood department, look for the yellow low price sign on Whole Foods Market Responsibly Farm Salmon. This fish is perfect for the grill. Buttery, fatty, yet lean, nice thick fillets. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it, and I know I can get it at a great price. There's so many ways to save at Whole Foods Market. Now you know. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a tip to help you identify straw man arguments. A meaty middle about why we pronounce the ED the way we do at the ends of words like wicked and naked. And some fun listener stories at the end. Let's get started. Political ads and analysis are reaching a fever pitch, so it seems like a good time to talk about the phrase straw man. What does it mean when two people are debating and one accuses the other of putting forth a straw man argument? I always think of the straw man from The Wizard of Oz, but that's not the real origin. In its simplest definition, straw man is the name of a logical fallacy, which means that if you carefully dissect the argument or statement, it doesn't make sense. Debaters invoke a straw man when they put forth an argument usually something extreme or easy to argue against, that they know their opponent doesn't support. You put forth a straw man because you know it'll be easy for you to knock it down or discredit it. It's a way of misrepresenting your opponent's position. It's as if you took a flaming scarecrow, threw it onto the debate floor, you look, it's my opponent's dangerous straw man, and then you appeared to save the day by dousing the flames with water. While your opponent mutters, that's not my scarecrow, where did that come from? (laughs) It can be annoyingly effective because in response, you may be lured into clarifying what your position is not, instead of talking about what your position is. And studies have shown that when you repeat a lie, even if you're repeating it to refute it, the repetition can make people more likely to believe that the lie is true. Here's an example. Let's say you believe genetically engineered crops should be more regulated, and your opponent believes genetically engineered crops should be less regulated. Your opponent could use the straw man technique by saying something like, if we take away farmers' ability to grow genetically engineered crops, if we eliminate that option, people will go hungry, people will starve. Unlike my opponent, I choose to use the technology available to us and save lives. In that statement, your opponent has argued against eliminating genetically engineered crops instead of against simply increasing regulation. He's put up a straw man, no crops at all, people will starve, so he can knock it down. Here's another example. Maybe you're arguing with a friend about global warming. 
you think the government should raise fuel efficiency standards to cut down the amount of CO2 we release over the next 20 years. Your friend thinks cars have nothing to do with it. And as you argue, he says something like, Our cities were built so that we have to drive cars. Your solution will kill the economy. How would people get to work without cars? It'll never work. At that point, you probably start twitching and can hardly wait to shout, When did I say we had to get rid of cars? That's not what I said at all. You're twitching because your friend has thrown out a straw man argument. He's responding to an extreme version of your proposal that's easier to shoot down than your real proposal. He's arguing against the extreme idea that we need to get rid of all cars because it's easier than arguing against the more moderate idea that we need to raise fuel efficiency. And that's your quick and dirty tip. People using straw man arguments misrepresent their opponents' positions in a way that makes it easier to argue against them. Now that you know what a straw man is, you can watch out for them in the debates and political ads this season. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. And now on to those odd ED suffixes. Listen to this passage. I stood naked on the rugged, jagged precipice and faced my accursed, aged foe with dogged resolve. The wretched, wicked wizard stretched a crooked finger from a ragged sleeve. As he began to mutter the incantation, I thought of my beloved Hildegard. How's that to set you on the edge of your seat? 
Aside from the gripping drama and suspense, what did you notice? Maybe you noticed that it had way too many adjectives. True enough, but there's more. Every one of those adjectives—naked, rugged, jagged, accursed, aged, dogged, wretched, wicked, crooked, ragged, and beloved—had the same unusual pronunciation of the suffix ed. If these words were pronounced like most English words ending in ed, they'd be pronounced naked, rugged, jagged, accursed, aged, dogged, wretched, wicked, crooked, ragged, and beloved. That's because usually the ed suffix is just pronounced as a d or t at the end of the last syllable of the word it gets suffixed to. It's pronounced as a d when the base word ends in a vowel or a voiced consonant. For example, agreed, grabbed, hummed, raved, writhed, sailed, roared, leaned, buzzed, bridged, hugged, and longed. It's pronounced as a t when the base word ends in a voiceless consonant. For example, flapped, puffed, toothed, hissed, scratched, and looked. Sometimes the ed suffix is pronounced as its own syllable. This happens when the base word already ends in a d or t sound. For example, floated and braided. But none of these adjectives we're talking about have a d or t sound before the ed suffix. So it's strange that their ed suffix should be pronounced as a separate syllable. Instead, they have a mixture of consonants before the ed. Most of them have a k sound there: naked, wicked, or crooked. Or they have a hard g sound before the ed, ragged, rugged, jagged, and dogged. A couple of them have a ch or soft g sound before the ed, wretched and aged. One more has an s there, accursed. Lastly, there's beloved, whose base ends with a v sound. Furthermore, I didn't even include all the adjectives with this pronunciation quirk in my sentences. I left out learned and blessed. And still others whose pronunciations vary depending on dialect: forked and forked, peaked and peaked, supposed and supposed, alleged and alleged, legged and legged, and striped and striped. And those are just the ones I knew about. I was surprised to learn that as late as 1839, the words booked, tusked, tressed, scabbed, crabbed, chubbed, stubbed, shagged, snagged. Scrubbed, scragged, hocked, and stiff-necked were also pronounced with a separate syllable for ed, at least according to a book published that year called "A Critical Pronunciation." A separate syllable for ed, at least according to a book published that year called "A Critical Pronouncing Dictionary and Expositor of the English Language" by one John Walker. In short, there's nothing these consonants have in common that separates them from other consonants. So, is there some kind of rule for when we pronounce the ed suffix as its own syllable? Well, there are a few observations we can make, but it's not going to be a definitive answer. Sometimes the adjective is pronounced differently depending on the context. For example, if you're talking about old people, the pronunciation aged is more likely. But if you're talking about old cheese or wine, you probably want aged. If you're talking about higher education, you can have learned scholars and learned societies, but if you're talking about psychology, you might be talking about learned behaviors. 
One thing we can say about these adjectives is that some of them are derived from past participles of verbs, and these past participles are pronounced as we would expect. For example, you might talk about a blessed event, but you wouldn't say the priest has blessed a house. You'd say he's blessed it. You might have a learned person for an advisor, but you wouldn't say, I have learned my ABCs. You'd say you learned them. Others of these adjectives are derived by putting the suffix ed on a noun instead of a verb. For example, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word dogged comes from the noun dog and the ed suffix and means having the characteristics of a dog. In this case, the ed suffix isn't turning a verb into a past participle. It's turning a noun directly into an adjective. That's English for you. It takes one perfectly good suffix and overloads it with different jobs. Just look at how it treats the suffix s. It shows present tense singular in goes, plurality in cars, and possession in shawns. But back to the main point. Of course, one well-known trait of English nouns and verbs is that nouns often turn into verbs and verbs often turn into nouns without any difference in form or pronunciation. That makes things more complicated. Take the adjective crooked. The archaic verb crook meant to put a bend in something. Turned into a noun, crook referred to such a bend. So it's not clear whether the adjective crooked came from the verb crook and referred to something bent, or from the noun crook and meant something that had a bend. Is there even a difference? Most of these adjectives fall into this gray area, where we don't know whether the noun or the verb came first, and even if we do, we don't know which one gave rise to the adjective ending in ed. This is true not only for adjectives ending in ed that have the strange pronunciation, but also for those that are pronounced exactly as we'd expect. For example, there's the verb outfit and the noun outfit. Does the adjective outfitted come from the verb outfit or the noun outfit? Unless you've looked it up in a dictionary, all you can say is that the adjective outfitted came from attaching the suffix ed to either a verb or a noun. Now, here's a surprise. Some of our unusual adjectives weren't created this way. One of them is wicked. You might wonder if the word has anything to do with the noun wick, the thing that you burn in a candle or an oil lamp. Actually, no. You can put the suffix ed on wick and talk about a wicked candle or a wicked lamp. But in those cases, the word has just one syllable, as you'd expect. According to the OED, the source for wicked is the Old English noun wicca, meaning wizard. The feminine form of this word is the source of our word witch. This noun wicca had an adjective form wick, which picked up an ed suffix for no apparent reason. So etymologically, a wicked witch is nothing more than a witch-like witch. Objections over how this meaning of wicked evolved to mean evil are well-founded, but that's a bigger topic than we can get into here. Another example of ed turning an adjective into a longer adjective is wretched. It comes from an Old English word that's pronounced basically the same way as the noun wretch is today, except the w wasn't silent in Old English. As a noun in Old English, a wretch was an exile or someone banished from their homeland. As an adjective wretch, it meant what wretched means today, but only gained the superfluous suffix sometime around the year 1200. 
An interesting side note is that one of the various spellings of wretched before it settled into its standard spelling was R-A-T-C-H-I-T, a spelling that's been resurrected in present-day African-American English as an insult. It's also spelled R-A-T-C-H-E-T. So we've talked about the suffix ed attaching to verbs and nouns to produce adjectives, and in odd cases attaching to other adjectives to produce longer adjectives. But naked is the strangest case yet, because its ed ending isn't a suffix. In Old English, it was nakod, spelled N-A-C-O-D. It wasn't derived from an existing noun or verb, or even an existing adjective. It was just an indivisible word that meant not having any clothes on. The OED does ultimately trace the word back to a past participle form of a verb, but by the time we get back that far, we're not talking about Old English anymore or even Proto-Germanic. We're talking about Proto-Indo-European, a common ancestor of hundreds of languages in the Old World. In her book English Words, A Linguistic Introduction from 2006, Heidi Harley summarizes the situation with these adjectives by noting that the pronunciation of ed as its own syllable, quote, was often preserved in words that were common in idioms, poems, or ritual speech, where language learners were more likely to repeat the string exactly as they'd heard their elders say it, unquote. In the end, probably the most accurate thing we can say about these words is that they escaped by historical accident the pronunciation changes that affected other words. But like other irregularities in language, the less they're used, the more likely they are to fall to regularity. That segment was written by Neil Whitman, who has a PhD in linguistics and blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com. Thanks, Neil. And to finish up, I have more of your stories to share. Michael James wrote, When I think of your podcast in context of memories of what was going on external to my listening to it, I'm always reminded of when I started listening to you. When I was going camping with my friends, my friend Andre had put your podcast on during the drive there, and I was in love with it. We must have listened to only an episode or two because it's not generally a thing a group of people would engage in listening to together. So I'm always reminded of being in the middle of nowhere in southern Oklahoma, that camping trip in November 2009, and my friend Andre. I'm not a writer. Andre may have aspirations to be one, but I'm not sure. But I love pondering words, how they work, and how to use them more effectively to communicate what I really mean. Thanks, Michael. I love to think of you in the middle of Oklahoma listening to the podcast with friends, too. That's a great story. And Brian McGovern wrote, quote, My work in the Army included media relations and broadcasting. I wrote news scripts, radio spots, as well as press releases. That's when I first started listening. Now, as a media relations specialist for a state agency, I find myself digging even more into the podcast. I really appreciate your work. Thanks, Brian. I always like to hear that the podcast is useful to people who write for a living. Michael and Brian both left their stories on the Grammar Girl Facebook page, and that's the easiest place for me to find them. So please leave your stories there, too. I love to read them, and I'll continue to share some of them on the podcast, so it could be yours. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl, and I just created a Grammar Girl company page on LinkedIn where I have two whole followers. 
But I'm posting stories every day. So if you want to get your Grammar Girl fix on LinkedIn, you can now search for and follow the Grammar Girl company page. That's all. Thanks for listening. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.